Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast, brought to you by... I guess Transfermarkt, because that's where both Stefan and I work. Stefan, how's it going? How was the Klassiker? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. The Klassiker was fantastic. Uh, it was a real privilege to be in that stadium at that moment uh, in German football history. You know, it's maybe not a moment in which most German football fans will remember fondly, but it was just great to be there. It was great to see the Bayern fans have a great time. The Dortmund fans were outstanding from first minute to the 90th minute. And even after that, um, far better than um, the players. That's what I put it that way. Um, but yeah, it was great. Fantastic weekend uh, in Munich. Beautiful city, as you know. Uh, and yeah, it was just great to be back in German football. Yeah, I saw your pictures throughout the day that you, you went to the Alte Pinatothek. You went to the Neue as well, right? The Neue Pinatothek. No, 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 just the alt. Just the alt. Okay, um, yeah, like one of my favorite parts in town. And then, of course, you went to the Eisbachwelle in the English Garden, mm. uh, saw the surfers. Um, I surf. I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was glad you visited that because it's a, that's one of my favorite spots to hang out and just like on the bridge and watch them. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, I got like got kind of jealous seeing all those pics uh, <laughs> of my my hometown and uh, i'm really looking forward of course i'm going back in in like two weeks yeah. um so yeah like yeah really 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 enjoyed all the pics and i really enjoyed your coverage throughout the game as well um i thought it was i think we have a lot to discuss when it comes to this game and mm. the implications of course that it has on german football Uh, positive, negative. Um, I think we will go through all of that for both Bayern and Dortmund and the rest of the league as well. Um, but like, what is your before we we really get into it? What was like your like major, most biggest takeaway from this trip? Um, I mean, in terms of the actual game itself, I actually thought it did a pretty neat job of summing up how the German league title race went this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought Dortmund started very well. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's just a complete brain fart from one of the defenders. Um, actually, well, that's not true. Actually, Serge Gnabry scored the first goal, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, throughout the match, Dortmund looked pretty decent until they shot themselves in the foot. And it happened time and time again. You know, that third goal for Musiala, it was comical defending. Um, I think they could have had like four opportunities to clear the ball. That's just amateur stuff, really. And it just does a great job of summing up where Dortmund are at the moment. I didn't even think Bayern were particularly impressive. I thought in key moments they were fantastic. I thought Lewandowski looked back to his best. Uh, you know, it was a real privilege watching him in person. Just having, He constantly had two or three players just bouncing off him, and they really did bounce off him. Um You know, players like Serge Gnabry who have like moments of just sheer brilliance. But I thought on the whole, Bayern were actually pretty average. 
And again, I think that sums them up quite well this season because they've done just enough to win the Bundesliga title. But as we saw in the Champions League, they've been well short of what they should be. Um, and then compared to a, a Dortmund team who, you know, and this is the thing, like, yeah, there's a lot of players missing through injury, but that's defined Dortmund's season. Players missing through injury. Erling Haaland not being 100%. The fact that he went off before the end of the game just summed it up to me. I thought he had a very quiet week, uh, evening. Um, and I think it did a really good job of kind of being a little 90-minute microcosm of where these two teams are at the minute. And, you know, I think I wrote kind of before the start of the game in the newsletter about how I think both of these teams will really be kind of aching and have a strong desire to just draw a line under the season and get on with the summer. But um, overall, I'd say this this game was actually a very good job of illustrating where both of these teams are at the minute. Yeah. Let's get in on all of that. The good, the bad and the ugly following the Klassiker for both teams after the break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join us. Use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, so shall we start with the champion then, Stefan? Mm. Um, the good. Like some, the good, I mean, quite straightforward. That's a 10th title. Um, and, you know, before we go into all the negative implications for the league and uh, the fact that Bayern didn't have their best year internationally, um, I do think we need to acknowledge the fact that no one in Europe has done this. You know, mm-hmm. they did. They do break Juventus's record set, uh, nine titles in a row. Um for a top five league, right? Of course, there's been other countries. Um, Scotland is an example, right? Where there's been a title winner for more than 10 years. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stefan. I think Celtic done more than 10 in a row. They did 10 in a row uh, in the 60s or 70s under Jockstein. And then they did nine in a row. Uh, and then Rangers won a title last season to stop them doing 10. Mm. So like, even, yeah, it's actually like, and then of course, you, I think you have a countries like Greece where it's happened. Uh, I think Belarus, about the Borisov, they have probably, I think it, they did like 14 years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Italy, of obviously Juventus done nine. I think the Olympic Lyon did seven mm-hmm. uh, in France. Um, my point is, it does come to an end eventually. Um, mm-hmm. I know it is. It is something that I, I Bayern fans rightfully and the club should celebrate it. And I, I did get the sense that this title was actually very special for them. You know, there is this whole debate, is the Bundesliga title still special? And I saw someone like post a picture of Bayern fans leaving at the final whistle. Like at the end, like you can attest to that. The stadium was still pretty full for the celebration, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, if anyone was suggesting the place was clearing out full time, it's complete fabrication. Uh, because the fans were having a great time, the stadium was bouncing, 
I know Bayern fans sometimes have a reputation for not being the most boisterous, but I thought the ultras behind the st- their uh, goal were outstanding throughout the match. And yeah, the fans all stuck around and the players in return, you know, celebrated with them. It was a really great moment for the club. And it's the first time, of course, in two years that players and fans were able to celebrate a title together. Because mm-hmm. you do have to remember that they weren't able to celebrate the Champions League win together. They weren't able to win the, the, the triple at all together, right? I mean, that was like mm-hmm. a pretty quiet affair because the, that was at the height of COVID. So this is the first time really that you had 75,000 people at the Allianz Arena being able to celebrate a title. And like a lot of people or mostly of other clubs made this point that, oh, for Bayern, this doesn't mean anything. I would actually argue this is probably the, the Bundesliga title that means the most for them when you take... Of course, there was the, the first treble, right? Um, but I got the sense that this is actually quite meaningful for the players in the club because of the two years where they weren't able to celebrate yeah. the fans. Um, so, well, I mean, one person who it meant a lot to was also Julian Nagelsmann, um, mm-hmm. who's never won a title like this before. Um, and I think, you know, if we just kind of want to talk about Bayern in general, where they are right now, just the fact that he was able to get, get us over the line uh, will be a huge relief for him, I think, um, because, you know, we, we talk about how there's really no real um, proper competition for Bayern this season, but at times it did look a little ropey. They, you know, Dortmund got close to them, um, and it's it's not been a vintage season for Bayern by any means. Um, the manner in which they've gone out in the Pokal, the manner in which they've gone out in the Champions League... Mm. The manner in which speculation over key players has just rumbled on, and it's not just like the Lewandowski thing. Before that, it was Serge Gnabry, and before that, it was Leon Koretska, and before that, blah, 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 blah. It was David Alaba, and who, who ended up leaving. Um, and now we've got the host, now we've got Serge Gnabry right now um, over whether he will or won't, and Lewandowski is still rumbling on as well. So, you know, there's a constant bickering around the club. Um, as to what's going on. And I think that's amplified by a sense of real kind of... Um, I think I think the club or even just the fan base just feel very kind of self-aware of Bayern's limitations at the moment. You know, at their peak of this 10 in a row, they seemed unstoppable. They seemed like a team who were going to challenge for the Champions League every year. They seemed like a team that had the best coaches in the world best players in the world and they looked unstoppable and they also looked like a club who outthought teams who had more money than them um and i think bit by bit that's kind of started to kind of fall apart this season you know hasan salihamovic has came under a huge amount of um criticism for not only the manner in which the club have had to go about these contract dealings but also just the way in which it seems as though their business is conducted in public you know, yeah. it's it, you know, it's that old expression, don't wash your dirty laundry in public. But and that's it, him. Yeah. I mean, it is coming from him, like, in fairness. Like, he complains about it, but it is him doing it. Mm. Oh, yeah. He complains about people making up transfer rumors or speculation of Bayern, but then he can't help himself when he goes on Sky Sports and talks about Erling Haaland. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's, that's like, I'm like, you know, this is an interesting point because, like, I was thinking about this today and I can see Nagelsmann being very relieved about this title because I think it buys him time. 
And people will say, like, wait, buy some time. Why? And I, th I think because he could be the first coach in 10 years or 11 years to not win a title with this club. And because the investment in him as a coach was so large by Bayern Munich, you know, paying a record fee for a head coach, world record fee for a head coach uh, to Leipzig, um, making the sort of salary um, like commitment that they made to him. And considering he's still so very young, right? Mm. Um, and I think in his tenure, this title run will end. Because there is going to be a paradigm shift now. Mm. Let's say they are able to hang on to Lewandowski for one more year. That's going to be it. I think if they're able to hang on to Lewandowski, I think this is going to be the final season next year. If they are, right? Gnabry mm. is going to leave. Um, there was these interesting suggestion that they could just go to Leipzig and pluck uh, Nkunku. That's not going to happen. They don't have that money. They don't have 75 million euros. Yeah. Right? And if they do have 75 million euros, they're going to invest it in one player and that one player will be uh, Mystery Striker X. Um, and I think that's... It kind of lays the foundation for someone else to come in and win a title. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting. I'd, I'd love to, um, I mean, obviously we can't, but it would be interesting to be a fly in the wall when he was ne negotiating his contract when he first arrived at the club because Oliver Kahn, Hassan Salihamovic, the president, Hayner, whoever you want to talk, whoever it was that was across the table from him, they must have sat him down and said, look, we're not idiots. We know that Muller... Neuer and Lewandowski are all basically at the same point in their careers. They're all going to need replaced. However, all this money that we've got in the bank is going towards giving Kimmich, Goretzka and uh, Kingsley Coleman and maybe Serge Gnabry a new contract. And that's the thing. Like I, I do see Bayern fans on Twitter saying, how the hell did Dortmund have 30 million euros to pay, spend on Adeyemi, but we can't buy a decent central midfielder? And the key thing you have to remember about this is that football finances aren't really defined by the transfer fees that are spent. It's based on really the wage budgets that the clubs have to pay for every year. And to put it into perspective, Adeyemi reportedly will make about 5 million a year uh, euros at Dortmund. It's probably a bit more once he gets bonuses and stuff involved. Lewandowski is probably looking for about 25 million a year. And 30. Goretzka, sorry? Stefan, it's 30. Sorry, 30. Support. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, he's on about 25, I think, at the moment. Yeah. But Goretzka, Kimmich, Coman, and Serge Gnabry will certainly be hoping are already making something close to that. You know, that's the kind of that's mm. the kind of top tier that these these key players are all pushing for. And that's the crux of the issue for Bayern Munich here. It's not so much that they don't have money, it's that it's all invested in these key players that they've got. And unlike Dortmund, whose maybe wage bill isn't as high, who can be a bit more flexible with how they spend their money, um, Bayern are kind of, their arms, are, their hands are tied in that regard. So I do wonder if when Nagelsmann was agreeing to join the club, he, Oliver Kahn, Hassan Sajhamovic, whoever, made it very clear to him and said, you know, the days of us going out and buying a Hernandez or us going out and buying so-and-so and us spending 70 or 80 million euros in one summer, um, they're gone for the foreseeable future. Yeah, we can bring in Open Meccano. Yeah, maybe we can pick up your friends and beat Sir on a, <laughs> you know, a discount. Uh, but 
you're going to have to be in charge of a Bayern team that needs to bring in its own youth players, that needs to transition without spending the kind of money uh, that we used to spend. Oh, and by the way, you still have to challenge for the Champions League and win the Bundesliga every year. So, you know, Bayern deserved their day in the sun for winning the Bundesliga title. The fans had a great time. They deserve it. As you said, they haven't had the chance to celebrate with the team. So that's fantastic. But I still kind of see storm clouds on the horizon for this club. It's interesting too, because like Ryan Gravenberg, who they have agreed personal terms with, Hmm. um, they are pushing Ajax to accept something like 25 million euros. Um, because they don't want to pay the 30 million that Ajax are asking for, right? And like, I find that interesting because it kind of shows that there isn't very much money out there for the club to spend. So like, they are actually willing, it appears, to wait, like if Ajax don't play ball, to wait for an entire year um, until they can sign Grafenberg. And I find that interesting because like, wow, I mean, that's not exactly a lot of money. Um, hmm. And meanwhile, Dortmund... I still believe have a ton of problems. Don't get me wrong. And we're going to probably talk about them a lot. But they're signing Schlotterbeck for 25, right? They're signing... Uh, they have already signed Sule. Adeyemi is now done. Um, there's apparently already a striker lined up to replace Erling Haaland. And I'm working really hard to find out the name. It's very <laughs> difficult. Um, but I've made calls and I've sent messages. And um, I've heard from for some people... Uh, that they might have a good idea, but until I've nailed that down, I'm going to keep it to myself. But like, it's interesting that they've already pretty much done their business. Mm. Um, and Bayern now, like, they can't, this whole idea that they can't sign the center back to replace Sule, and they're just going to go with uh, Nyansu. I mean, no offense, but that's not exactly a ton of quality that they're going to have on that position. Mm. Absolutely, and but this is the issue that Bayern Bayern's revenue has basically plateaued, but the club are still having to pay what the third or fourth highest wage bill in Europe. So, and this is and this and this is the issue that we've talked about in terms of do you keep Lewandowski? Do you sell him? What what what, what where do you go at, that at this point? Because mm. it's now getting to the point where the club are probably trying to figure out how they can cut corners or you know recoup some money and. There's a there's a striker there who might want to leave this summer. Um, who if they if they even if they made forty million from him or something, say Barcelona offer that, they accept that. It's not so much that they'll have forty million euros to spend. It would it be that they have they would have an extra thirty million euros to spend from the wages that they were going to have to pay him this season. So all of a sudden, Bayern have seventy million euros to go and buy a striker. So I think that's the key issue here. You know, all of Bayern's revenue is basically tied up in their wage bill. And that would be fine if their wage bill was dominated by young players or players who are reaching their peak years, but it's not. A large chunk of that will be Lewandowski, Muller, and Neuer. And now Nagelsmann has the unfortunate, or not the unfortunate, he's still a fantastic job, but he has the unenviable task of trying to rebuild a team but still hold on to all three of these players who are now in their mid-30s. Yeah, and especially when you consider that the target that Bayern might want to sign to replace Lewandowski could be the mystery man that Dortmund have already agreed with. Um, <laughs> so let's. T- <laughs> so I guess that's the ugly for Bayern. We have talked about the good, the, the, the bad, the ugly for Bayern. 
Um, congrats to a 10th title. I do think it's well-deserved, and I do think it's a milestone. And yes, it has. it's not the best to sell the league as a product, but we also have to respect what Bayern Munich have done here. It's very difficult to win 10 league titles in a row. Not many clubs have done it. And the Bundesliga is not just some league where you just show up and you play for fun. Like it is very, very it's a very difficult competition. Um, I guess now the question is then, and we're, we're Dortmund are probably still one of the challengers, and especially with the business that they have done. You know, the squad that they have right now is just not good enough. And I mean, you know, Dortmund fans will be very upset with the result on the weekend because they were... See, <laughs> um, but the referee came out afterwards saying that it was he should have probably given two penalties to Dortmund. I mean, this is a never-ending story for the Black and Yellows, isn't it? A Klassiker is never without some controversy that goes Bayern way, Bayern's way. And that unfortunately also feeds into the whole narrative that this is Bayern's league. Um but then let's talk about Dortmund then. I mean, the ugly is it's, an, it's a season without a title. And I think that in many ways is, is not acceptable for the sort of money that they spend. And yeah, like, okay, Watzke comes out and says Bayern's wage bill is about 10 Gnabry's highest than ours. That's fair enough. But your wage bill is still like at one of the 10 richest clubs in the world. Mm. You know? And then when you're one of the 10 richest clubs in the world, you probably should be winning a title. Yeah, yeah, or at least challenging for one, um, and that's kind of the issue, isn't it? You know, it's. It, I mean, I think I think Dortmund are probably further down the road in terms of a rebuild than obviously Bayern are. Um, but we kind of talked about this last week, didn't we? In the sense that because Dortmund had been kicked out of all the competitions by February, they were able to basically crack on with their summer transfer moves, moves, and that's why you know they've already signed up Nicolas Sula. It's why Schlotterbeck's all but done. And according to Beald, Adeyemi is also confirmed. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that these transfer rumours are being leaked quite readily, probably by the club, um, at a time when the fans really don't have much to sing about. They don't have much to get excited about. They don't have anything really to get hopeful about. So you kind of just keep the steady supply of news that things are being worked on in the background. And, you know, it is good news for Dortmund. Uh, these are all three excellent players if they do end up signing them. Uh, you know, I think they will add a lot to this team. I don't think it's enough. You know, I looked at that team uh, that was playing at the weekend and, yeah, I know, it's it's basically a B team for Dortmund, but even their A team, you're still talking about, what, two fullbacks who just are not up to the scratch. I don't know what's happened to Gallero. He used to be an outstanding you know, I really thought outstanding fullback the Bundesliga, but something's happened. I mean, he's, I know he's had his injury concerns and he's had swap positions a lot. He's running around putting out fires, but he just doesn't offer that same attacking threat that he used to. There's no right back in this squad at Dortmund who I think is ready to be in a title challenging team. Uh, okay, they might fix their central defenders, but, you know, <laughs> I watched this team. Uh, at the weekend there and the entire tactic as far as I could tell was the goalkeeper rolled the ball out to Wolf at right back who then tried desperately to find Julian Brandt with the ball very rarely found him uh, Erling Haaland wasn't 100% so he hardly went looking for the ball and Bayern are just happy to just pin Wolf down and just go for it and go for it and go for it and the problem for Dortmund as well is there's no, there's no defence midfielder there who can really take charge of that game so 
it doesn't really matter um, how many exciting attacking players you have or even really how many decent central defenders you have. If you don't have good fullbacks and if you don't have a good holding midfielder, you're just going to get overrun. And I kind of made the point um, during the game that Dortmund kind of come across as like two kind of mini teams. You've got the front four who are playing these one-twos and trying to perfect their counter-attacks. And then you have a back four that are just basically trying to keep their head above water. And that's how I felt Dortmund have played for much of the season. So mm. it's encouraging that they are bringing in these new players, three exciting new players. But Maybe four. Maybe four, yeah, of course. But let's not forget that Erling Haaland, when he was fit, papered over a lot of cracks in this squad. And for much of this season, it was just yeah. a case of Haaland outscoring the team that Dortmund were playing. So, you know, unless they've unless they're going to go out and sign Robert Lewandowski, maybe that's the secret striker. But unless they've got a striker in mind who can slip straight into Haaland's shoes and do what he did, there's going to have to be a huge rebuild of this team. Um, and I, I'm still wary as to whether it's going to work well well enough or quick enough before the fans turn on Rose's back. Because you could quite easily envision a situation where Dortmund do actually have a very impressive summer transfer window, but things don't click into gear until maybe December or January. In which case, they're already at the Champions League, they're already at the Bundesliga title race, and the club sack, sack Rosa, and they're all back to square one again. The Erling Haaland is like such an interesting story. Because like he's kind of like a paper wall, isn't he? Like it kind of covers up an ugly looking wall, but then like you know how like paper wall is really bad when it like starts cracking and you actually have to strip off the entire thing to like rather you you can't like it papers over the cracks of a wall, but it's equally bad once it starts peeling off. Hmm. And like that's like the whole analogy I had with Holland. Like we all knew this was just a paper wall to be installed to crack. To go over the cracks, but at one point or another, it will start peeling off, and then you will have to rip the entire thing off, and then you will have to replace the wall. <laughs> and I think that's where Dortmund are at now. And we all knew that was going to happen because, like, we all knew Haaland has a career plan, and you can be critical of that or not, but we all knew it. We all knew he was going to be there for what two and two and a half years, and then move on. I mean, that was always the plan. Uh, from the Riola camp, right? And so, like, fair enough. I mean, that's that's his choice. That's, the, I think the club, the fans have sort of more or less kind of shrugged it off now. Um, but essentially, what you're doing now, like, you have to rip off that paper wall because it's it's peeling off on all the edges, and um, you probably have to fix that wall completely. And I think this is where Dortmund are at. And I'm really curious how they're going to do it. And yeah. you know. Adeyemi, obviously, and you mentioned this in the tweet of yours, he's not the Haaland replacement. He's not. Like, he just is such a different player. Um, he gives Dortmund essentially the sort of player that Bayern have with Gnabry. That's mm. the best comparison. And that's why Bayern belatedly, like, you know, kind of tried to maybe um, hijack the, the Adeyemi deal, right? Because things with Gnabry are really bad. Um, it looks like he could be following Alaba to Real Madrid. Um, and join Antonio Rüdiger there as well. There's going to be a lot of Germans and Austrians at that club. <laughs> um, and, you know, that would have, Adeyemi would have been the, the perfect replacement for Gnabry. And it's, it gives Dortmund a really good player. But he's still not your center forward. And uh, I don't want people to radio and quote me on this. So I, I'm going to say this right from the beginning. This is just a name that's in my head. And, um, 
I am working on trying to get names confirmed, but this is just something that has been suggested to me as Darwin Nunez from Benfica, right? Hmm. And he is a very good player. He's very, I said, I said earlier this year, whoever is going to lose out on the Erling Haaland race is going to go all in for uh, Darwin Nunez because he has a 75 million euro release clause. Hmm. Which, by the way, is exactly the amount of money that Dortmund will receive for Erling Haaland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only issue I have with this theory is that does Darwin Nunes need Borussia Dortmund? Because he's already proved he's a top class striker. He's already been linked with Man United, Chelsea, Real Madrid, whoever else. What use does he need for another couple of years in Germany to, to prove that all over again? I know it's a very cynical way of looking at it because maybe he just wants to play in German football. Fair enough. But that's my only issue with that theory is whether like, well, if he's already at a club like Benfica who already sell their best players to the top tier sides, why would he move to another club that for good or for bad prioritise their entire transfer policy around doing that as well? Mm. But it's interesting. I'd be inter- I mean, it's, it's it's a very interesting story that they're after a striker because it'll depend what kind of money they have. You know, I've been pushing the Sasa Kalacic button yeah. for a while now. I know he's not been at his best this season because he's been injured. And I think a lot of people kind of look at him and think, well, he's a bit clumsy looking. He's not, you know, he's not as cool as Erling Haaland, but the kid gets results, you know? I mean, he's technically older than Haaland, so I guess I can't call him a kid, but I think he's proved it's still gone a very short period of time. He's a great Bundesliga striker. He's a, kind of, he's a great player that mm. Dortmund could have on the bench, for example, and just throw on when they're chasing games because he's just he's just a, he's just a tent pole. <laughs> and, but he's, he's also not just that. He's, he's, that's, that's such a simplistic way of looking at it. He's not just this towering target man who just knocks in crosses. He's, a great, he's, he's great at creating goals. Uh, as well as scoring them, um, so I think he'd be a really shrewd signing for them. And, he, and you know what? It'd be just nice if Dortmund signed a player that obviously didn't fit a profile, in the sense that they're just going to sign him, train him, and sell him off to Man United in a couple of years' time. You know, it'd be nice if they just bought a good Bundesliga player whose ambitions probably don't go any higher than just doing a good job at Dortmund, because maybe that's what they need. Yeah. I agree with you there. Um, you know, he reminds me a bit of Jan Koller. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that's like, Dortmund had success with Jan Koller. Um, I think that was, Jan Koller was there with Thomas Rosicki when they won the Bundesliga title in 2002? Under Summer? Hmm. Um, well, I actually want to bring up here real quick because Matthias Summer still holds the record for being the youngest Bundesliga coach to win a title. <laughs> People forget that, right? Like Nagelsmann is really young, but like Summer was actually even younger. Um, yeah, yeah. And was kind of the the Nagelsmann of his time. Um, obviously, for health reasons, isn't coaching anymore. But was a very good coach. Summer was a very good coach and, and is an excellent sporting director and really knows football well. And he does hold that record for being the youngest coach to win the Bundesliga title. Um, and that was with Jan Koller and Wozicki. And I, I think like that's that's interesting too, right? Because that isn't interesting point that I brought up about the Bundesliga as a whole uh, on Twitter is like we have to remember that Dortmund are only 20 years removed from being essentially bankrupt and being mm. bailed out by Bayern Munich and it is a really hard financial gap to make up with when you take that into context and I think this is where we like 
the next level, next next part of this discussion is like, how bad is this really for the league? Um, yeah, I've I've been suggested that actually a lot of clubs in the league are kind of glad that Bayern are very good, and you know, in the end of the day, if they win the title ten times in a row. It doesn't matter for them because they're also consistently very good in the Champions League, where they always at least reach the quarterfinals. And that earns the Bundesliga points, which secures four Champions League spots, which means three other teams in Germany make the Champions League. And that's a, that's a good revenue stream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is an, that's an interesting one because there is that point that as long as Bayern are very good, the league actually benefits as a whole. Um, the, the flip side of that is, of course, if you're trying to sell the league to an international audience and this, the league is won by the same team every year, that also is difficult. Like I'm in the U.S. right now, and I know how hard of a time the league has in the United States to sell itself, mm. even though I do think it's a fantastic product. You and I know it's a fantastic product because... Um, we've recovered, we watch it, and there's so many good stories. Like someone suggested to me, oh, there's no intriguing stories in German football. It's like, yeah, there's lots. Like, there's a team named Freiburg who could reach the Champions League, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look at Frankfurt's third Europa League run in, in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, 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 the fact that there's teams with massive amount of members um, struggling at the bottom half of the table. There's the relegation battle. There's the race for Europe. All these little things. There's lots of nice little intriguing storylines going on. But the fact that there's no title race seems to overshadow this a ton. And I think it's also because the American mentality, of course, is that every one of the sports leagues, if you win three titles in a row, like, for example, in Canada and US, we have the NHL, which is very, you know, the hockey. Um, The most that the team has won in a row in the modern era is four times. Because the playoffs break it up, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we did an entire show on the playoffs and whether that's a good format. I personally think it is a good idea, um, one way or another. But, you know, it, it, the question does, that I do have is, for Bayern Munich 2, there must be a point where they say, like, well, maybe someone else should be winning this. And <laughs> I'm not suggesting they should on purpose roll over. But this could be a really good time to maybe do this rebuild because it would actually sell the league to a more public audience because them struggling might actually help them in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I can, I could absolutely foresee a situation in which, you know, the Bundesliga does something very different um, to, you know, really shake things up. Now the, the interesting thing about Bayern's dominance over the last 10 years is that, in that time, they've only won two German Cups, you know? And I, and I think that's actually quite telling. They've won as many German Cups as they've won... Sorry, that's an absolute lie. I, was, I just realised I was misreading the wrong thing, the ring there. But they've only won, I think, five of the last maybe ten, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, and we're talking about a team here who won two Champions League trophies in that period as well. So, obviously, some very good teams there. But there's no doubt that knockout competitions do kind of break up a monopoly of a competition. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's such a difficult situation. It's, it's a chicken and egg thing here because you want to be able to sell the smaller stories, the, 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 the fascinating stories of German football, 
Um, but you can't do that really unless you have a broadcaster who's willing to really properly invest in those stories. And you're not going to have a broadcaster who's willing to invest in those stories unless they have an overall product that gets people in front of television watching these games. And, you know, I did a huge thread after the game on Saturday when I was sitting in this quiet little pizzeria in Munich having the best Hawaiian pizza I could possibly imagine. By the way, I'm fully with you. Pineapple and pizza is okay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 the cultured man's pizza choice. Um, uh, we're going to get cancelled in Italy now, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of kind of pulled together my thoughts on it all because that's obviously what everyone was talking about after a tenth title. And it it's it's tricky because you've got one. You know, on the one hand, you've got um, you have the league itself, which I think is sometimes a little too rigid and a little too old-fashioned in the way that it tries to sell its TV rights and its marketing. And, you know, if you just take the UK, for example, they sold the rights to Sky Sports because I'm pretty sure they were the only people who were willing to pay for them uh, because BT here, who are the other big broadcasters, are kind of taking a step back from live sports. And Sky paid a very flat rate for the league, which won't be great. Um, but the problem is that in the UK, Sky promote themselves as the home of the Premier League. So what you have here is more often than not, the league is the, the Sky Sports very rarely actually show any Friday night games, very rarely show any Sunday night or Sunday games. Uh, and of course they can't show the you know the, the normal games on a Saturday because in the UK they don't we can't show live sports between three and five PM because of um, rulings that have been in place since like the 50s or 60s, which is a whole other rabble, which we can maybe discuss another time. But So in terms of the actual exposure the Bundesliga gets in the UK, it's minimal because they've ended up just selling the rights to a broadcaster who doesn't really have any need or interest in promoting them. You know, where if someone was maybe thinking outside the box in the Bundesliga, they would have had a good look around the UK market and said, right, well, we maybe won't make as much money, but why don't we give these Bundesliga rights to like Channel 4? Now, Channel 4 is like a, a public broadcaster. Uh, it's free television, and it's a bit like the BBC, but it's a little different. You don't have to pay a subscription fee or anything to have it. So every television in the UK, as long as they pay their TV license, has Channel 4 on their television. And, you know, over the last 20 years, Channel 4 have done a great job of picking up very specific leagues or sports and doing a great doing a great job of it and because channel four is available to everyone in the uk people have picked up on it uh, you know they've done a very good job of the formula one they've done very good jobs with uh, the paralympic games but more most relevantly to the bundesliga channel four were the broadcasters who showed italian football in the uk in the 90s and not only did they show the games but they also put together fantastic package show every weekend which was pr- uh, promote, uh, presented by James Richardson right and yes and all of a sudden an entire generation of British football fans fell in love with Italian football it wasn't because they were Italian it wasn't because they had they've all been on holiday in Italy and took in a game at the San Siro it's because this was just pushed in front of them you know yep. it was because a well-packaged pro- uh, a well-packaged deal by a broadcaster that was passionate about making the most of it 
was just pushed in front of these people and they watched it. And that's kind of what the Bundesliga has to do here. It has to take a step back and say, right, we maybe have to kind of think twice about whether we want to maximize our exposure or if we want to maximize how much money we're going to make. Because one of these, they have to kind of maybe cut out the short-term gains financially to kind of make bigger inroads in the long term. And I'm, and I'm, and I know the US have the deal with the ESPN. I know ESPN do a very good job of that. Um, and I actually, at the game, I made a point of going up to Derek Gray and telling him that. And obviously, Archie's a friend of the show. I've told him too. I think they both do a great job of promoting the league itself. But you can maybe argue that it's the same issue there as well, where even though there's a broadcaster who is doing their best to promote the league, because it's on paid for television, there's only so much exposure you can get. So, well, especially what... when you don't have a title race, right? Like, how do you sell a product? Like, exactly. if, if you're on ESPN Plus, you can also watch basketball where you don't know who's going to win in the end, or you can watch the NHL where you don't know who's going to win in the end. And uh, yeah. the NHL is actually now new to ESPN Plus, and um, they do a great job with that. But like, the, the thing is with the NHL, I can't tell you right now who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Hmm. Right, and so that's a much easier product like, for them to promote. You know, I was thinking as you were talking there, um, because you mentioned Formula One. The Bundesliga almost needs the f- equivalent of Drive to Survive, yeah, show on Netflix. And I know Bayern done this Amazon thing. I I I tried to watch this, and it's it's not really that intriguing to be honest. Yeah, I gave up on it too. Um. I, I found that it's not just with Bayern, it's with all the clubs. I just don't find these Amazon shows intriguing. They're not interesting. You know, like they maybe you're interested in them if you um if, if you're, you're a supporter. If you're a supporter, right? But if as journalists we live all that all the time. So I I watched it and I was like, okay, well, there's some interesting stuff here, but it's all whitewashed. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Do, do and, you know do you know what's great about that Formula One show? And I say this as someone who had no interest in the Formula One whatsoever. When I watched that, the thing that really impressed me was that they made a point of telling the stories of the the other play, the other racers. You know, very yes, all the teams. Yeah, there's very little of Lewis Hamilton yeah. at all in the first season. You know, and then Max Verstappen obviously gets his say when he as you see his rise, and Red Bull obviously have a huge prominent role in it. But the thing I loved about it was that it made you care about these guys who don't win anything. And that's exactly... Imagine Christian Streich on that show. Exactly. That's what that... <laughs> but that's what the Bundesliga needs. It needs a show or it needs a broadcaster that will point out and, and, and make viewers fall in love with the teams and the players and the coaches that don't win anything. Because that's obviously yeah. what's the beauty of the league in Germany. But besides that, only thing you're going to get in the UK or the US or anyone else or anywhere else is broadcasters wanting their classicer and they want a their classicer that means something and the more and more it doesn't mean anything the less and less the league as a whole is valuable to them i actually like this is an important one to point out here stefan because i was in germany um so i i was the journalist that broke the espn deal right um i know it was leaked beforehand but i was the one that actually officially wrote the first confirmation that was back when i just wrote for forbes um and before that just before I broke the story, uh, the Bundesliga set up an interview with the um, with the key people at ESPN. At, it was at the Signale Duna Park. Then I also spoke to um, people at Dortmund and Bayern and so on. And one of the things that was actually promised at the time um, was the 30, 30 by 30 or 30 for 30 shows that they do on ESPN, the, the sports documentaries. They're, they're just quite excellent. They 
you know, the sort of thing that they did on Michael Jordan. Did you watch that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like that kind of documentary format was supposed to be part of that deal. And I've mm. never seen it. And that's, I feel it's such an opportunity lost. Right. Um, because that would be, I, in, this is, and I agree with you 100% on this. The, the one of the strengths, and that's, I, I used to be a huge Formula One fan during the Schumacher era and then kind of gave up on the sport because I, frankly speaking, Formula One was the equivalent of the Bundesliga with one guy always winning. <laughs> um, but then I watched the show and I was like, wow, like this really got me back into it. And it actually got my wife back in, into watching Formula One as well, right? And that's what I mean. This show got a lot of people into the sport again that pre like either mm. never were exposed or gave up on it. And I think the Bundesliga needs to look at the show and only give Bayern a really small part of it and Dortmund too because Dortmund get a ton of exposure and mm -hmm. go to the Freiburgs go to places like Bielefeld where like absolute survival is like so difficult right um, mm -hmm. I think that would be really intriguing and I think it would go a long way to sell the product and show people that there is other stories than Bayern winning the title because like even if Bayern's dominance is broken up they're still going to win let's say other teams sneak in they're still going to win 7 or 8 out of 10 right mm. um which is and in fairness that's the case in every other league people in england are believing there's a title race there right now let's be honest here, in the end of the day city are going to win mm. right um and they're going to probably win eight out of the next 10 that's the whole things are nowadays in in these league formats but I, I think that is really something important and to just find a way to get people hooked by saying okay well yeah bayern are always winning but what about Freiburg reaching the Champions League, right? Or, yeah. and we should talk about this next, the fact that for the first time since 1997, a German team could win a European title. And I mean, a German team did not named Bayern, as I pointed out uh, last week. And I think that's like there is, that's a really intriguing story because look at Eintracht Frankfurt and this run that they now have in the Europa League. And um, we were talking about this run in the Europa League and how important it is for a club like Frankfurt, right? To get there because um, there was an interview in Kicker with um, one of the directors, Holzer, and he pointed out that reaching the, champ the Europa League semi-final for the second time in three years is actually more important than playing Champions League because it earns you the same amount of money. A team like Frankfurt is usually out in the group stage, right? Mm -hmm. um, it gets your eyeballs all the way into May and uh, international eyeballs, which then improves your UEFA coefficient standings. Um, and then it gives you an opportunity to win silverware and really give you the financial uh, financial foundation to build the club. And I think people in Germany, and I, I, this year we were, we were lucky because two teams actually took this competition very serious. And those teams are Frankfurt and Leipzig. And they're both in the semifinal. I think they both have a legitimate job of winning it. Mm. Um but you look at Villarreal and Sevilla. Villarreal beat Bayern. Uh, they're now in the semi-final of the Champions League. I wouldn't be shocked if they win it. But they do it on the foundation of having won the Europa League last year. Mm. And I think people don't realize how important uh, winning in Europe, even at the Europa League level, is to actually get a foundation that can help you then later on in the Champions League. Because winning 
winning becomes an attitude, right? Like it's it's something that once you like start doing it, and I know Frankfurt struggle in the Bundesliga, but I think that's a hundred percent due to the fact that they have all their X in the Europa League basket. That's just the reality of it, right? Because mm-hmm. them winning the Europa League will set up the cl- club for the future. That's just how it is. Um, but I find that really intriguing because it does, it does, you know, Bundesliga teams with the money that they have, every single team that makes the Europa League has a shot of winning that competition, hmm. right? A shot. I'm not saying they should be winning it, but they have a shot at winning it. Like what Leipzig and Frankfurt have done this season, that should be the norm. There should yeah. always be one or two German teams in the semifinal of the Europa League. Absolutely. And I think that's an, and just like to just kind of make a final point on the whole the league's problem and its international reputation. A large part of that's down to the fact that no team outside of Bayern has really made a headway in the Champions League in so many years. I know Leipzig had an unexpected run to the semifinals, but, and I know Frankfurt have done a decent job in the Europa League, but besides that, it's few and far between. There's no, there's no surprise that, you know, I'll put it this way, if Borussia Dortmund were losing the, the Bundesliga every season, but reaching the quarter or semifinals of the Champions League and beating teams from England or Spain or Italy, yeah. people would 100% turn around and say, yeah, do you know what? Bayern are dominating the Bundesliga, but wow, it's a really good league, you know, because you can just tell that from Bayern, yeah. uh, from from Borussia Dortmund, and it's been a negligence that from Bundesliga teams for the for the longest time. And personally, I fear that it might be down to a quality issue, but you never know. But it's not a financial issue. I I, I agree with you. It's not a fin- it's not a financial issue, but it's a quality issue, which yeah. makes you think like, what is that money being spent on? Exactly, because. You know, Leipzig, Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen. These guys should all be taking chunks out of good teams in the in the in the in the Champions League, but they just haven't. So it's fantastic that Frankfurt are there. It's fantastic that RB Leipzig are there in the in the Europa League because people are still talking about these teams after Bayern have won the league title. People are still talking about German football. Uh, you know, Frankfurt going and beat West Ham in this tie, which I think is perfectly possible. And if Leipzig go on and beat Rangers, which I think is probable, I think they should beat Rangers. Um, it's it 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 helps paint the Bundesliga in a different picture. Now, you know, Frankfurt winning Europa League isn't all of a sudden going to make everyone turn around and be like, actually, I changed my mind. The Bundesliga isn't boring and a one title race or a one horse race, but it's something that's been long overlooked. You know, and it was something. And it, when 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 Barcelona and Real Madrid were dominating. La Liga, people would still point to the fact that Sevilla, um, you know, and other teams, Atletico Abal, whoever, were still really pushing in the Europa League, and they said, "Wow, you know, yeah, Madrid and Barcelona are two horse race, but there's still these great teams in the league that are worth paying attention to." So, I'm really hopeful that Frankfurt can do something in London this week. Uh, I'm quite confident that Leipzig should be able to get the better of Rangers. So, I think we probably will have at least one t- German team in the final. Uh, but by gosh, it's so important that they, that we do because yeah. even things like that are vital to the league's international appeal. And it is. It, I actually think it's absolutely important. And I mean, um, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but when you actually take, if the Champions League was just a league table, then Bayern would be first over the last 10 years by a huge margin, right? So like, they are very good. Um, but unfortunately, there's no other German club anywhere near that either, right? Um, and that was always the strength of Spanish football. It, yes, it, Real Madrid won a lot of Champions League titles, but then also Sevilla won four Europa League titles, right? 
and that really helps you as a brand because then all of a sudden you say, okay, well, yeah, the, the two teams at the very top are very good, but there's also this club who's doing interesting things and developing players. And then there's this club who's doing interesting things and has this interesting coach. And what a neat story Una Emery is at Villarreal, like, you know, and that's what we need. We need the Oliver Glasners of the Bundesliga to become the Una Emery's, right? Yeah. And just say, okay, this is a guy who got fired at Wolfsburg after qualifying them for the Champions League and then goes to Frankfurt to win the Europa League. Yeah, exactly. That's a great story. Like, that's a fantastic story. Don't tell me there's no stories in the Bundesliga. That's a great story, right? Or Tedesco, what he's done with Leipzig after the club was essentially hit the iceberg by hiring Jesse Marsh and is now on the verge of winning maybe a Europa League title. Like, that's a great story. Mm. Like, pay, that's something that needs to be paid attention to, but no one's paying attention to it because Bayern win the title every year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, hey, we just need a Frankfurt Leipzig Europa League final and all our problems will be solved. I think it will help. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's still a lot more problems out there, but I think it would actually go a long way of helping the league because I think if one of them wins the Europa League, or let's say there's a German final, then the likes of Bayer Leverkusen and Borussia Dortmund and all these other teams will be like, hmm, maybe we should take this more serious. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think Dortmund would have been a lot closer to Bayern this season and previous 10 seasons if they had taken the Champions League a little more seriously or they made a bit more of an effort in the Champions League. I know they take it seriously, of course, but um, I think their continual failure in the league, in the competition is a better indicator of where they are rather than where they end up in the league and how many points they land. They they, they end up off Bayern. It's not yeah. so much. A, it's not. It's not so much a case that Dortmund are just a little bit off Bayern. It's the fact that they are struggling to make any inroads in the Champions League every season, and that should be a huge problem for the club. That should be more embarrassing, in my opinion. Well, um, and also maybe don't go out against Rangers in the Europa League. <laughs> yeah, well, like no offense, like yeah, I, they, Rangers they, are very good, but that was embarrassing. Of course, of course, but they already embarrassed themselves in the in the group stages. Yeah, you know, and they've done that how many times now under numerous head coaches. So that's where the issue is. If you're Dortmund, I think more so than finishing nine points off Bayern. Yeah, the last time they were good in Europe was under Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, wow. And really, they haven't been good since. It's all... Um, Sacking Thomas Tuchel was that club's biggest mistake uh, in the last 15 years, easily, in my opinion. I know there's all sorts of stories around it, and I know a lot of people, a lot of Dortmund fans weren't really happy with how he conducted himself at the club, and people picked sides, but he was their next Jurgen Klopp. He was their next Jurgen Klopp, and he was as good as Jurgen Klopp, and he has proved to be, in my opinion. Um, and it's all been downhill since then. I agree with that. I, I I'll I'll sign that and second it. Uh, motion stamped. <laughs> like I agree a hundred percent with that. And I actually thought at the time it was a mistake. Um, and I don't know what happened between the two sides. Obviously, they had the differences. Fair enough. Then work through them for the better of the club. Like he got fired on the back of winning a cup. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. And he got fired because he picked up a fuss about how the club conducted itself in the transfer window. And I think he's right. And he was vind- right. He's been vindicated ever since, 10 yeah. times over. Yeah. And he was right. He wanted the culture change and um, instead he got changed. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that's, I mean, that's, like, that's a true story here, right? And I, the club has 
one of the best that the reason Klopp worked out is because he brought a culture change to the club. And then they did not accept another culture change after that. And they have ever since like looked for this like gute Laune Bear, as they say in German, you know, this like guy who hugs everyone and motivates everyone. And Thomas Tuchel wasn't that guy. He was the next Jurgen Klopp, but he was not that. And they didn't want to accept mm. that. And they have on their ever never ending quest of finding the next Jurgen Klopp, they fired the coach that could have probably given them a couple championships yeah we have gone so off topic no but we're like yeah this is interesting <laughs> we should probably wrap it up actually because yeah. Like, but like yeah i think i think this is a good wrap up of where we are right now and it's all very interesting and um yeah i think there's still because we are doing our preview show later this week i think there's still lots of interesting storylines uh the europa league on thursday is going to be fascinating um, two really good matches, Frankfurt um, against West Ham and uh, Leipzig against the Glasgow Rangers. So a German-British affair, all-British affair. Uh, I think it's going to be really fascinating. And yeah, I guess we'll wait and see how that how that goes down and then we'll come back with a preview pod for match day. Oh gosh, it's already 32, Stefan, match day 32. I know. Wow, time flies. All right, well... This this show is always brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, we'll be back later this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.